Um, before the sermon today, I just would like to lift up just a few more announcements. Uh, first of all, uh, next week, uh, the blue tape comes off. And we're going to replace it with red tape. <laughs> I don't have the courage for the red, Reverend Martha. So, uh, But I do have the courage to ask you this. When we take the tape off next week, uh, our, our hope and our prayer is that you won't all just gravitate towards the back 20 rows. Because I may just come right out there and preach, you know, next week if uh, we do that. But, uh, but our, our attendance is... Uh, coming back uh, a little bit more every week uh, after the pandemic and 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 so uh, until we get back up to our uh, capacity what we were ex expected to come worship with us Sunday after Sunday before uh, it is nice if people spread out a little bit so that it doesn't look so empty up here near the front and uh, if that doesn't work we'll start charging for sitting on the back pews and we'll raise money for the church. We'll figure out something. So, um, anyway, just be mindful of that, that the tape will be coming off next week. Uh, the next thing that I've asked you to do last week and would ask you to continue to do is that you are probably mindful of someone that used to sit next to you on the seat next to you that you haven't seen since the pandemic began. Uh, maybe they are... Um, gotten out of the habit of coming to church, but if you would just call to mind those persons, maybe text or phone call, send them a note, let them know that you miss them, and even if they're not ready to return to church just yet, just knowing that you miss them and that you care about them would be a great ministry, uh, but let's, let's think about those folks that we haven't seen come back to church and reach out to them, and, um, and then the last thing I, I Every week I'm seeing new people, not just people who haven't been here in a while, but first-time faces. And so it's been kind of hard to get to know new people during a pandemic. But if I haven't met you yet, or the clergy, we haven't met you yet, please consider stopping by after the service today out back and introducing yourself to us. We certainly would like to get to know you. And then the final thing this morning, and then I'll start preaching, is that... Uh, uh, I've changed the title of the sermon uh, to God Must Love You Very Much. God Must Love You Very Much. And the text is this passage of Scripture from 2 Corinthians. I've got to look at my watch uh, so I know how long I can preach. <laughs> um, Barbara Brown Taylor has written a lot of books. If you don't know who she is, she's one of the best preachers that you will ever read or listen to. And so I would encourage you to check her out if you haven't already. She's an Anglican priest uh, from Georgia. And she's written uh, a lot of books. Many of them are just sermons of hers that she's made into a book. And in one of those books is Home by Another Way. She tells a story about a woman whose life was just unraveling at the seams. Uh, just you name it, and it seemed like it was happening to her. And so she was confiding in a friend about all of the things that were just going wrong in her life. And her friend suggested that maybe you should go on some sort of a silent retreat. And, and there's a convent not too far away from us. Maybe you should just go check yourself into there for a weekend and, and, and spend some time with God. And so this woman was willing to try anything. Life was so difficult for her in that particular season of life that she did, in fact, do just that. She went to the convent. She uh, prepared, uh, made a silent retreat, 
opportunity was made available to her. And so she shows up at the convent, and she checks in, and they give her the key to her room, and she's making her way to the elevator. And as the doors open, and she gets in, and she presses floor number four, where her room is located, a nun walks into the elevator with her. The doors of the elevator close, and the nun looks at the woman and says, well, what brings you here? And the woman said, well, my mother just died. I think my father is an alcoholic. My marriage is crumbling apart and probably won't survive. And I feel like I'm about to lose my mind. And before she could continue to lament all of the things that were going on in her life, the doors of the elevator opened, and it was time for the nun to get off the elevator. And as she stepped off the elevator, but before those doors closed, she looked back at this woman, and she said, God must love you very much. And then she turned around and walked away. And this woman was like, what? Uh, did, did these nuns not take pastoral care classes? I mean, I just talked about everything that's going on in my life, and the one thing she says to me before she walks away is that God must love me very much. Is she, is she trying to suggest that there's some sort of a connection between all of the bad stuff that's happening in my life and, and God's love for me? Well, that's a tough question to answer, isn't it? I suspect it was tough for her, it's tough for me, it may be even tough for all of you, that somehow that, that uh, God's suffer, the suffering in our life uh, is a way that God uses to show signs of God's great love. And yet, I think that's what's happened in our scripture lesson today. You know, right before what was read this morning as our scripture lesson, Paul, it's like he's on the elevator with a nun. I mean, he has just been lamenting about all of the awful, terrible things that have happened in his life. He is really, really struggling. And yet, some way, Paul begins to, to have this sense that maybe, just maybe, these struggles that he's dealing with over the course of his life are actually opportunities for signs of God's love to come slipping through the cracks. Well, here's the context. Paul probably showed up in Corinth somewhere around 50 A.D. Over the next year and a half, Paul began to build a Christian church in the city of Corinth. And he stayed with the church until he felt like that they were probably going to be okay without his presence being there, constantly leading them and guiding them. And once he arrived at that place where he thought maybe they were going to be okay, Paul decided to leave and to go to Ephesus where he was going to do the exact same thing. He was going to start Christian church. He was going to get it up off its feet. And then when he thought like it was okay without him, he was going to go on. Now, you know Paul well enough because our New Testament is full of his letters that he didn't just leave a church and never think about them again. He was constantly trying to provide leadership to the churches that he started even after he went on to start another church. He would write them letters. He would encourage them where they were doing well. He would challenge them where they needed to grow 
but Paul continued to care deeply about his churches. Well, apparently something went off the rails after he left the church at Corinth. Apparently, there were some new Christian evangelical ministers that moved in. And, and, and Paul would later call these ministers super apostles because they thought they were super so much better than everybody else. And, and these new ministers, after Paul left, began to question his credibility. They began to question whether or not Paul really was called by God as one of the great missionaries of the early church. And they began to look at Paul, and they began to say stuff like, well, can we really believe that this guy is of God? I mean, look, everywhere he goes, he gets into trouble. Everywhere he goes, he gets thrown into jail. He never does enough miracles like you should if you were really called by God. Um, he, he doesn't talk about any visions or revelations that he's had like you should if you were really called by God. And they, they begin to point at Paul and say, you know what? This guy really isn't who he said he is. You need to be listening to us. We are the ones that are intimately connected with God. We are the ones that can show you who you should be and how you should live. And so they began to say things like that. Surely God would have better taste than to use somebody that can't seem to get out of his own way uh, to, to grow the kingdom of God here on earth after Jesus' ascension. God surely chose someone else. And by the way, that's us. Well, here's the deal. All of the things that they said about Paul were absolutely true. I mean, the guy in many ways couldn't get out of his own way. I mean, he, he, had, he had been through so much. He, he had been stoned. He'd been whipped. He'd been uh, uh, imprisoned. He'd been shipwrecked. I mean, you, you name it, this guy had had some awful stuff happen to him. He, he was well aware of his weaknesses. He was well aware that when you looked at the script of his life, that it didn't read like somebody that had been blessed and called by God to do great things. And yet the amazing thing about Paul is that he didn't run away from his weaknesses. In fact, Paul was willing to list his weaknesses, every single one of them, right alongside all of the credentials that he had to do what he was doing. Well, one of the things that these super apostles really took issue with Paul about is because he never talked about visions. They, they thought that if you were really of God, that you would have these special visions all the time, these revelations from God, and, and they claimed to have those visions and revelations. And, and, and Paul was just a guy that didn't really want to talk about that. Paul was, was greatly impacted by the visions and the revelations that he experienced, but those were deeply personal for him. He knew that just because God came and spoke to him in a particular way didn't mean that God would necessarily come and speak to anybody else in that same way. And so Paul wanted people to be believers. Paul wanted people to follow the Lord, not because of his personal experiences of visions and revelations. He wanted to deal with the things that were universally true of all people. He, he wanted to connect on a way that everybody could relate to. He wanted people to experience God in a way that everyone could experience God. And yet he's being uh, blasted because he's never talked about any of these visions. And so he feels like he has to answer to that. And so he says, okay, okay, uh, 
14 years ago, which is amazing, you know, 14 years ago, like God hadn't been visiting you ever since, Paul. I mean, why can't you pick something a little more relevant, a little more current? But Paul didn't want them to think that he was just coming up with a vision now to address all of the concerns about how he doesn't have a vision. And when Paul begins to tell about this vision 14 years ago, he tells it in the third person. It's like, I know a man who had a vision. Well, everybody believes that Paul was talking about himself, but, but the reason why he didn't want to say that is because he really didn't want to boast about it. He, 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 he really was, he didn't want to just belabor the point, but, but Paul did have these visions. And he's just so uncomfortable talking about it. He would rather talk about it in the third person as opposed to talking about it as happening to him. And then Paul says, but I can't go into any details about the vision because God told me not to. Well, that's really not a way to get the super apostles off your back, right? I mean, because the whole point of being able to say that you've had a vision is so that you can go to in-depth and tell others something that they and themselves haven't experienced. And yet, here Paul says, is, I can't even go into details about that. And then right after he tells about this high, holy moment, that he had this wonderful vision of going to the third heaven to experiencing paradise, he starts talking about a thorn. A thorn that he was given, he says, so that he wouldn't be too elated about all of those personal visions and experiences. He says that this thorn kept him from being elated about much of anything. And try as he might, praying over and over and over again that the thorn would be removed. This great apostle, perhaps the greatest Christian missionary in the history of the world, could not get rid of that thorn. It plagued him for the rest of his life. I think the point that Paul was trying to make is that Christian suffering doesn't disqualify us from God's love, from uh, what God wants us to do with our lives and how God wants us to live. In fact, what Paul seemed to realize is that we're never more eligible to realizing how much God loves us until we're going through the darkest days of our lives. The reason why I'm here preaching today just two days after my mother died is because she knew that as painful and as difficult as her final few days were, that it was in those moments where God's strength and the strength of her faith came through most vividly. I wasn't ready to share the videos with you today because it's still too raw and real, but um, Several months ago, uh, right before my mom had what we believe was the stroke that led to her death, uh, she was filmed by someone at the nursing home singing songs about her faith. They were just playing music while they were putting makeup on my mom, and uh, the song was in the sweet by and by when we meet on that beautiful shore. And my mother was just singing uh, away while they were putting makeup on her. After my mom's stroke, she was no longer able to talk since April. And so, if you've ever been by the bedside of somebody that you can't talk back to you, it, it's really tough to know 
what to say, how to feel the sil- fill the silence. And so one day, I just took an old hymnal, <laughs> and I just sat by my mom's bed, and I started singing. And she was uh, sort of semi-conscious. And when I got to singing, I'll fly away, all of a sudden, my mother's hand is up in the air. Um, I believe that suffering, uh, whether it's something that we've been brought on ourselves, whether it's something that comes on us from the outside world, and some of you may even be inclined to think that suffering that God places upon us. I'm not smart enough to know where suffering comes from. I am smart enough to know that suffering does come. And And I am smart enough to know, and my mother, in the way that she lived out the final days of her dying, taught me once again that God's grace is sufficient. That God's strength can be made perfect in weakness. And that when we go through those opportunities, my mother, even though she couldn't say a word, said exactly to me in the way she lived out her final days, What that nun said to that woman when she got off the elevator that day, knowing the suffering that that woman was experiencing, God must love you very much. My mother knew that. And it's because she knew that and instilled that into me that I was determined to be here with you today so that you'd know it too. God bless you.